Okay. Yes. A little Kenobi to calm you down. Hey, everybody. It is uh, the 16th day of August. In the year 2022. I think that the worst of the heat up here in the Northeast. I could be speaking too soon. You never know. But the worst of it is definitely behind us. Anyway... Having wonderful days outside and as good of a day as I can inside. I hope the same is going on with you all. Um, 6.58 p.m. Creeping towards 6.59. And it's a Tuesday in Quite Frankly Land. And we have a full two hours. Tomorrow is going to be an abbreviated show. Because it's one last band practice before our gig on Thursday. We'll think of, we'll think of uh, something to have broadcast on Thursday on uh, quite frankly TV but uh, then we're back to normal order Friday and then all next week culminating with my departing New York for a little bit of a vacation with uh, Aurora and Lauren and it'll be good it'll be a good time and I'll come back recharged and then it'll be September and we can just start concentrating on seasonal goodies. September is officially typo negative season. So you got to put on the uh, October Rust album in September. Or you can, you can, you know, whatever you want. September Sun, you can put that on on September 1st if you'd like. But um, there's a lot going on, a lot going on. And uh, I hope that I'm already putting together some ideas for October that I think are going to be really great. Really great. And, and yeah, do you just, you just leave that up to me. You just show up at seven o'clock every night, leave the rest to me. I'll figure something out for us tonight. We have Timothy Gordon coming back on the show. First time in a long time. I mean, we did book club together, but it's the first time he's been on quite frankly in a long time. And, uh, I want to talk to him. I want to talk with him about some things in the news lately. I just think it's been fantastic. Really amazing. I love seeing the media triggered in some kind of a way that they cannot control. And in this particular instance, it's about, well, you've heard all year so far, the rise of Christian nationalism. Got to watch out for those Christian nationalists. Much more dangerous than the globalist atheists, occultists, you know. So um, that has been on the radar the whole time this year. It's been on in the news cycle the whole time. But the last week in particular, they're talking about um, there was a, a New York Times article that had to that focused in on a very small part of the Lower East Side in, in Manhattan called Dimes Square. And there's a lot of like young professionals there, media and all that stuff. They, they hang out there. It's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of neck beardy and whatever. But they're all f scratching and clawing, young people scratching and clawing for faith. And they have picked up more traditional practices of one thing or another, and they found traditional Catholicism. Like they're going, they're going beyond, they're going beyond uh, Second Vatican Council, and they're, and they're looking into more of our roots, and it's, it's been uh, pretty interesting. Now, the reason why I bring it up is because the New York Times reported on it in one way, as you'll see, and then the, the, the screechy leftist feminists of all over the blogosphere, including Slate, Daily Beast, Mother Jones, if they're still around. I forgot where else I saw it. Uh, they went absolutely nuts. 
absolutely nuts. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. It's going to be more so of a of a, a cultural discussion about where we are again in this the spiritual aspect of our daily battles here, and what we can what we can what kind of hope we can rest in the future with the youth. And again, what is the culture producing as far as backlash, as far as people, young people who are always rebelling against something, okay? Whatever the parents think is cool, the kids are going to do the opposite. So I think it's pretty interesting and also very predictable that uh, as the dominant culture is this really gross type of modernity where it's just there's, there's no form, there's no, there's no structure to anything, uh, we're, we're deconstructing the human genome, biology, throwing it all out the window, and it's just getting very stupid and dangerous. But um, they think that going back is actually more dangerous. So I thought this would be a great conversation because we love talking about culture here, and uh, I think it's pretty hopeful. We'll find some things to laugh at. They even said that the rosary is being literally weaponized. That's what the Atlantic said. We're going to have to get into that, too. Okay. So I thank uh, Secret Nature CBD for relaxing everybody on a night like tonight. SecretNatureCBD.com. I'm going to have Tyler from Secret Nature coming on the show in early September as well to talk about not only the 20 years that they put into cultivating the best cannabis experience that you can get, breeding, retail, product, product development, all that stuff, some of the most well-known, successful brands in California now. That's what they've been doing out there with the CBD, CBD flour, the oils, the tinctures, all that. And I, uh, I want to share his story and the company's story with you at some point. We'll do that next month. But go to SecretNatureCBD.com. Use promo code FRANKLY for 20% off of anything you buy whenever you buy it. It's not a one-and-done token. Enjoy yourselves. I would start buying stocking stuffers for family and friends for the holidays from now, to be honest. You could do all of that stuff on quitefrankly.tv affiliates page. Have at it, man. Have at it. All right, tomorrow, Will from the Fincastle Underground will be on. First time we spoke to him in a while, and it should be a great time. Going to talk a little bit a little bit about the, uh, the conspiracy theories that are popping up around the untimely death of Anne Hish. So, we'll see where that leads. And just a reminder, the forum, the new forum is up there. Quite frankly, TV, you are all able to register and start your own forum topics for discussion, debate, group investigation, whatever it is. Go to quite frankly, TV, click the forum up top on the navigation bar, and you're right there. It's not Reddit. It's not connected to any larger social media platform. It is a forum just for us. Sign up is very quick and easy. You don't need a, a wallet a crypto wallet or anything like that of some of the other blockchain based ones which I'd love to do but it's just a little bit too much of a sign up process for most people I want this to be as universal as possible so go check it out I see people have already been posting a lot of stuff which is awesome and I have four four threads that are active already of my own that I have to start promoting a bit alright into the grab bag we go first story up first story up is now this one got me a Utah Little League World Series baseball player is in a coma right now after falling from a bunk bed. Now, this has 
only as of the last maybe 15 years or so has this been a a fear of mine when it comes to children, grown-ups, and beds. I don't know if any of you out there have ever watched that really dark, heavy show on HBO back in the day called Six Feet Under. I, I, I could not do it. I couldn't bear it. My mother was watching it. Skip, my mother, they were watching it every... Every week, it was always after shows that we were all watching as a family, and I could never get into it because it it was just so morbid. You know, every episode started off with a person who dies, all the different ways that somebody does. So I think somebody in that in that uh, in that um, series even died from you know airplane debris, or you know how airplanes drop shit. Well, they they died in their backyard just getting struck by something from an airplane. It wasn't an, it wasn't a plane crash or anything. It was just I don't know. I guess they were just dropping some porta potty crap or something. Anyway, a young girl in one of those episodes died. They were all you know she was having a sleepover with her friends and they were all jumping on the bed and stuff like that. And she bounced off and broke her neck. And it wasn't even a bunk bed. And that's just you know I I that stuck with me the in, for for every year since. Every year since it stuck with me. Aurora's going to have, when she gets out of her crib, I'm going to put her her mattress on the floor. She's not even going to have a bed frame because of HBO. HBO is really messed up. It really is. Subconsciously, it, it's really, it screws you up. It screws you up. Every character that's left alone, you assume they're, they're about to kill themselves. That's just HBO. Every character that's left alone and isn't happy, oh, they're going to kill themselves. Anyway, the baseball player... He fell off. He fractured his skull. Everybody said that he. Uh, they're all optimistic that he's going to recover. I don't know if it's a medically induced. Yeah, it is. It's a medically induced coma. So they're probably just allowing the um, any kind of inflammation inside the skull to to settle down. And I, I'm hoping that he's all right. I'm sure everybody out there is is as well. Be careful of those damn bunk beds, man. I used to have a bunk bed with Anthony. Of course, we needed one. We were, me, for, from between 1993 and 1999, we were living at my grandmother's house. Me, my brother, my father, and my mother. And my, me, my brother, and my mother were all in one 12 by 12 room, if it was even that. So me and Anthony were in bunk beds in one corner. My mother was in a twin bed in the other corner. And we were there for six years, you know, uh, in, in between houses. And so, yeah, we got to know each other pretty well. But anyway, uh, the bunk bed had to be, our beds had to be our room, like a room inside of a room. Like we, we, we tried so hard to make our own little spaces that were ours. And imagination really t- played a big role in it all. I remember climbing on the side of the bunk bed using old belts as, you know, straps and harnesses around my waist and trying to climb up the side of the bunk bed. And I was pretending, pretending to be Sylvester Stallone in that movie Cliffhanger. You remember Cliffhanger? I, I haven't seen that in a long time. I bet you any money it's still a good film. All the things we'd have to pretend that bunk bed was. But good times, man. Here's a headline from the New York Post as well. Trump warns terrible things are going to happen in the U.S. after sneak attack FBI raid. Former President Donald Trump warned Monday that the temperature has to be brought down in the country or terrible things are going to happen before accusing the FBI of a sneak attack raid on his Florida estate last week. Quote, This country is in a very dangerous position, Trump told Fox News Digital in his first interview since the August 8th search. 
There was a tremendous anger like I've never seen before all over the scam all over the scams and this new one years of scams and witch hunts and now this If there's anything we can do to help I and my people would certainly be willing to do that the 45th president continued Federal agencies more than two dozen boxes of items blah 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 and He's right He's right not gonna be good in fact, the Anthony Sabatini, you remember we were talking last night about that CNN clip with Anthony Sabatini and that uh, that harpy old man that was like, well, you want to get rid of the FBI? You know how much they, they're, they're, they're catching bank robbers right now. The Anthony Sabatini idea, though it's not his, but I'm glad he's espousing it. It's just common sense. Uh, that's the only peaceful way to start riding the ship. It's the only peaceful way. Steady dismantling of the federal government and returning all of those talented cops, all those very talented police officers to their respect their their respective states to join state bureaus of investigation. And whenever a crime crosses state lines, you start communicating with the state that is also involved. And it's called teamwork. And it's called decentralization. And it prevents a, uh, a bureau like this from sticking around for over a hundred years with no justifiable reason to do so You know and you can say well, you know how many how much good they have done. I'm sure I'm sure over the time uh, over over time a lot of bad people truly bad people Have been stopped and brought to justice and all that stuff But it's just like when they do those town halls, when Democrats do town halls for health care, universal health care or something. Another thing that is completely foreign to our our laws, completely foreign to our Constitution, and uh, and for a very big-time reason. If you go and you start stealing money from the rest of the country and redistributing it to the tune of the hundreds of billions of dollars, uh, there's going to be no shortage of Tom, Dick, and Harry's that are going to come forward and say, I was greatly helped by the influx of billions of dollars that the federal government took and redistributed and, uh, and made health care more widely accessible for someone like me. There's going to be no shortage of that. The, se- the, the, the real question is, is sustainable? No. Is it sustainable and is it legal? No. No, it's not. So... Yeah, the FBI, I'm sure they've done some great things over the years, but it's uh, it's over. I mean, it's over. And if and if they don't get and if they don't get dismantled or severely limited in some way, then yeah, it's uh, it's going to contribute to an eventual an eventual popping off. It's going to happen. It, especially between states and the federal government. Remember, that was the big thing there. That's the big thing there. uh, American citizens are still very reserved, and obviously we're gluttons for punishment. Nobody's going to step up and start a shooting war, especially all by themselves. It's not going to get you very far. But as far as standoffs between states like Florida and any other state with integrity that actually want to be able to uphold their their rights and and, uh, and embrace the Tenth Amendment, it's going to get tricky. really is. Jim Jordan comes out and says 14 FBI whistleblowers have already come forward. There are lots of good people in the Bureau. It's the top part that's the problem. I don't know about that, Jim. The top parts are political appointees, Jim. 
A key Republican working on investigations of corruption in the Department of Justice, the FBI, and the Joe Biden administration says 14 whistleblowers already have contacted members of Congress with details about what's been happening. Quote, they have come to our offices as whistleblowers and they are good people. There are lots of good people. I don't care. Blah, blah, blah. Some of these good agents come in telling us what baloney is going on, the political nature of how the Justice Department, God bless them all for doing it. Now, when we're going to learn about this stuff, I don't know. I don't know if, if it's going to turn into another hearing where only, you know, two and a half outlets give it minimal coverage, but we'll see about this. It's always great that people are doing it, and you hope those 14 whistleblowers turns into 14,000. There's going to be at least 14,000 people in the Bureau that, uh, that that see what's going on and know it's not right, but just don't want to lose their jobs, and they probably have greater national security implications uh, in, in mind. The kind of problems and the the kind of programs they put together at this point, it is also very hard to just rip the Band-Aid off. You can rip the Band-Aid off, and the bleeding just wouldn't stop. So you got to be very careful. You know, we talk about welfare and entitlements and block grants and all that. It It's not something you can stop overnight without killing millions of people. That's how That's how bad it is right now. Millions of people would die if you just take food stamps and welfare and all that that's why I say at least at first completely shut anybody off to any kind of money that comes from the government that uh, if they're not citizens that's the one thing you can do not our problem if you're in a country illegally all right uh, what do we have here nuclear fusion breakthrough confirmed California team achieved ignition so what do we have This is from Newsweek. A major breakthrough in nuclear fusion has been confirmed a year after it was achieved at a laboratory in California. Researchers at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, National Ignition Facility. Great. The hospital's calling me now. This is is the call from the doctor I've been waiting for all day. And now he's calling me at 7.15 p.m. about skip something. I have a, a long list of questions to ask, but nobody calls me back. And now he's calling me at 7.15. Great. The results of which have now been published uh, in three peer-reviewed papers. Nuclear fusion is the process that powers the sun and other stars. Heavy hydrogen atoms collide with enough force that they are fused together to form a helium atom. Releasing large amounts of energy as a byproduct, one of the hydrogen plasma... One, once the hydrogen plasma ignites, the fusion reaction becomes self-sustaining, with the fusions themselves producing enough power to maintain the temperature without external heating. Ignition during the, a fusion reaction essentially means that the reaction itself produces enough energy to be self-sustaining, which would be necessary in the fusion the, to use in the use of fusion to generate electricity. If we could harness the reaction to generate electricity, it would be one of the most efficient and least polluting sources of energy possible. No fossil fuels would be required, as the only fuel would be hydrogen, and the only byproduct would be helium, which we use in industry and are actually in short supply of. So this latest milestone at LLNL, researchers recorded an energy field of more than 1.3 megajoules, during only a few nanoseconds. For reference, one megajoule is kinetic energy of one ton mass moving at 100 miles an hour. That's just in a nanosecond. 
The record shot was a major scientific advance in fusion research, which establishes that fusion ignition in the lab is possible at NIF. Achieving the conditions needed for ignition has been a long-standing goal for all in, uh, inertial confinement fusion re, uh, research and opens a, uh, access to a new experimental regime where alpha particle self-heating outstrips the cooling mechanisms in the fusion plasma. So, according to Newsweek and the physical review letter papers that are coming out here from this uh, from the LLNL, Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, there was a very significant advancement in nuclear energy. And I'm going to hold this one aside until I can get somebody to come on and talk with me about it, especially if we have any academics out there in the studio, uh, in the audience. Please email me. Email me or start a thread on the forum and talk about the significance of this or anything that might be misunderstood or whatever. Um... That would be wonderful to hear from some uh, hear from some academics on this subject. And then one last thing, Minneapolis teachers. Now this is one thing. <laughs> Breakthroughs in nuclear fusion is not the the only thing here. Not the only thing going on. That's and it's nothing compared to progress being made in Minnesota. Minneapolis, Minnesota Teachers Union will lay off white teachers before educators of color. So white Minneapolis teachers will be laid off first before they do that to educators of color, regardless of who's a good teacher and who's not. Maybe all the white teachers are bad. And maybe all the black teachers are far more superior at their job. And and, and it should be this way. But the fact that the determining factor of all this is skin color just goes to show Regress, regress, regress. The Minneapolis Public Schools declared in an event that the layoffs need to occur, MPS uh, created a contract that is designed to remedy the continuing effects of past discrimination by the district, reports Alpha News. So because supposedly so-called discrimination existed in past uh, generations, New generations of teachers who had nothing to do with old generations that did one thing or another that we can't even confirm because we're just reading this for the first time right now. They have to pay the price. It's a generational price. It's like we're in North Korea where if you get convicted of a crime, your grandchildren are still paying the penalty. That's, that's, that's what they do in North Korea. And that's what our, our brave civil rights heroes in the United States in the 21st century do over here. Now, if you're in this district or any district like it that, that does shit like this, it's, there's no more time to mess around. You must immediately take your children out. White, black, it doesn't matter. If you have children in districts like this and have hopes of them becoming a whole, complete person with the ability to form meaningful relationships that are not based on varying forms of victim identity or sexual kink, Please homeschool them, hire tutors, coordinate with other parents who are in the... Just get them the hell out, all right? You, you're, you're saving their lives. You would be saving their lives. Because not only are the administrators crazy, but the teachers left behind are going to be absolutely worthless because we know what the standard is. That's what the standard... Unless, unless you know, the people left behind start protesting against this and stand up for something worthwhile as well, that would be nice to see. So you can leave your students in districts like this if you want to have them watching Spike Lee films all semester. But if you care about them, you'll get them out. 
you know, I met up with some friends over the weekend. I met up with some friends over the weekend to have a drink and uh, and to watch a little bit of the Yankee game. And I was um, I was talking with my buddy who was telling me about his his boss, who was like an old school Democrat type, where he's a little bit more fiscally conservative but socially very loose and and whatever, just you know, live and let live type, whatever. But now he has said 100%. He is pulling all of his grandchildren out of an elementary school a few towns over from us because apparently, as we are hearing in other places in the country, and I've actually had a couple educators in this audience get in touch with me about something similar, they are the latest school, a couple towns over, in their elementary school to accommodate furries. That's children who have been made to believe and have been encouraged to continue believing that they are in fact animals. There's going to be litter boxes, litter boxes for children who think, who, who have been completely destroyed by the culture already. And I started thinking about that. You know, it's hard enough for kids to outlive some of the things that happen to you in elementary school. You know, if one of your friends peed in their pants in third grade or fourth grade and, you know, it's very embarrassing and everybody knows and there's he gets a nickname or something like that. I had this one kid in my in my class whose parents, I, I'm sorry, the m- mother was uh, just a nut. His mother was a nut and she did him a lot of da- a damage. There was one time there was a few children in my class that went to a friend of ours house we were above the age of 11 and because the mother was so protective of her carpet and so protective of everything and including him where if he got a b minus she would be in she would be making a fool out of him and fighting with teachers he deserved an a this and that shit that the other uh well she made a bunch of 12 year olds drink from sippy cups and that's when we realized that he must be still drinking from sippy cups when we're not around he was he was called sippy cup until the day that he received his high school diploma and then nobody ever saw him again it is hard enough for children to outlive some of this stuff how the hell do you even have a chance to recover from being a middle schooler who once was made to sit in a litter box. How do you ever recover from that? You're done. You're done. And you have schools that are actually enabling it? Man, oh man. Boy, oh boy. Okay, well, we'll be right back. Time to get into some stuff. Don't go anywhere. Share the show far and wide, live or otherwise. I'll see you on the other side of the intro. Hey guys, it's me, Moonlit Matt. Are your pants off yet? Because they should be. Because you're entering, quite frankly. Or is he entering you? Enjoy the show. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. 
Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Welcome to the show. Christian nationalism, Christian nationalists, here they come. Here comes the Christian nationalists. Oh no, he he's playing Wagner. So in the last few months, Welcome to the show. You can send in your super chats to quite frankly superchat.com. So in the last couple of months, the uh, the Christian faith has been, you know, it, it's the main it's the main target. They they don't if this was a, a Hindu majority country, they would be going after Hindus because of course that would be that would be something that supplants the authority of the earthly government here. So let's just be honest. That's just why it's the, it's the main, the main target. But in the last few months, there's been a recentering of this primary target the, the, that the social demolitionists have, and that is Christian nationalism is the target that needs to be destroyed. It's the new Al Qaeda. It's the new Al Qaeda, uh, because as the West continues to fracture, many people are still are starting to find renewed faith as a counter to the inherent ritualistic evils of globalism. Now, this past week, New York Times, Slate, and The Atlantic most recently began freaking out about Generation Z making their way toward traditional Catholicism in particular. But this is just the latest chapter of this whole refocusing of people who have faith. And... um, and a threat this poses to the world order that they took to, it, it took to build for so long, I guess, is it's palpable. And they're freaking out a little bit. Here's a little of what started. Now, the New York Times piece on Catholicism, this is, it, it's a decent article. It's a decent article. It's by Julia Yost. She is a senior editor at First Things Magazine, which I, I have not read much on there, but I know that it is a Christian, pretty right-leaning Magazine, you can find it all online, First Things Magazine. Anyway, this was actually featured on the New York Times in the guest essay section. The headline is, New York, the New York's hottest club is the Catholic Church. Now, um, she talks about the apparent resurgence that young people are feeling or having in the Christian faith and concentrating specifically on this one section of the Lower East Side, I told you, Dime Square, and a resurgence of young, traditional, trad, retrograde Catholics. You know, our guest tonight is a proud retrograde. But I have this up here. I'm going to read the first two paragraphs and the last one. Then we're going to go to the reaction. 
As senior churchmen seek to make Catholicism palatable to modernity, members of a small but significant scene are turning to the ancient faith and defiance of liberal pieties. The scene is often associated with Dime Square, a downtown Manhattan neighborhood popular with the pandemic-weary Generation Z or Zoomer crowd, but it, is, it has spread across a network of podcasts and upstart publications. Its sensibility is more transgressive than progressive. Many of its denizens profess to be apolitical. Others uh, hold alternative opinions, whether sincerely or as fashion statements. Reactionary motifs are cheek. Trump hats and trad wife frocks, monarchist and anti-feminist sentiments, perhaps the ultimate expression of the contrarian aesthetic is its embrace of Catholicism. Urban trends can shape a culture. A millennial Brooklyn did it in its heyday. The Dime Square scene is small, but its, uh, its ascent highlights a culture-wide shift. Progressive morality formulated in response to the remnants of American Christian culture was once a vanguard. By 2020, the year of, of lockdowns and Black Lives Matter protests, progressivism had come to feel hegemonic, which it is, dominant, suffocating, in the social spaces occupied by young urban intellectuals. Traditional morality acquired a transgressive glamour. Disaffection with the progressive moral majority, combined with Catholicism's historic ability to accommodate cultural subversion, has produced an in-your-face style of traditionalism. This is not your grandmother's church. And whether the new faithful are performing an act of theater or not, they have the chance to revitalize the church for young, educated Americans. Now it goes down, we'll go down to the last paragraph here. What Catholicism requires is adherence to disciplines and dogmas, a test of sincerity that applies in Dime Square and beyond. In early July, after the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, a rosary procession in uh, Nolita, from old, uh, old St. Patrick's Cathedral to the neighborhood Planned Parenthood, until 2020 named for Margaret Sanger, drew large crowds of rowdy counter-protesters. It was a reminder, an easy walk from Dime Square, that the church runs afoul of the culture in every generation. Real-world events will, con uh, will confront young urban Catholics with the full implications of Catholic doctrine, making it hard to view the rosary as a fashion statement. Over time, these developments will sort the converts from the LARPers. So they want to see what, you know, how much of this is just a trend, how much of it is just rebellion against what is obviously the dominant power in the culture, and a, um, a regressive and harmful one at that. And when this was published, boy, the re began. The re. It echoed throughout the entire internet. Well, not the entire, just a little bit. But it was hilarious to read. Now, a triggered feminist, a triggered feminist from Slate showed a, a literal shaking level of concern to the way that the, the Times allowed this assault on the world order to take place. Here you go. Here's the, here's the headline. Uh, can the New York Times please not treat Catholic reactionaries as a fun, sexy trend story? Now, first of all, any journalist who puts uh in the headline should lose their job automatically. But these aren't serious people. They have less standards than a high school newspaper. This is written by a comical Molly Olmsted. On Tuesday, I'm going to read this, then we're going to call, uh, we're going to call up Timothy. 
On Tuesday, the New York Times published an opinion piece that declared New York's hottest club is the Catholic Church. The piece was written by an editor at the stuffy conservative Christian journal First Things. It's stuffy because they don't publish blowjob tips like Slate does. That's why it's stuffy. They don't publish blowjob tips. Which, under the recent leadership of Catholic theologian R.R. Reno, has swung toward the reactionary right. The author of the piece, Julia, I mean, the, you want to talk about reactionaries? These are people who literally, it does not matter what somebody like Donald Trump says he likes, they, are, they have to be on the other side of it. They love calling other people reactionary because they, they are the standard. They believe they're the standard and everybody else needs to be squelched out. The author of the piece, Julia Yost, argued that young, cool intellectuals, bored by the corny politics of their liberal peers, have found transgressive delight in embracing the rituals of traditional Catholicism, along with, uh, along with at least some of its moral stances on sex and gender. Uh-oh. These young, edgy reactionaries, she wrote, are associated with the buzzy but mostly nominal downtown Manhattan Dime Square area. The name refers to a restaurant in the area. They have embraced monarchist and anti-feminist sentiments, she wrote, and they debate esoteric Catholic topics. This is not your grandmother's church, and whether the new faithful are performing acts of theater or not, they have a chance to revitalize the church for young, educated Americans. Yost does not mention that the Pope has warned that most adamant pockets of traditionalist Catholics, or trads, as many observers online of online extremism know them. You see, we're bringing on an extremist now. Timothy Gordon, because he's a trad, he's traditional, it's extreme, and, and online extremist uh, observers know them well, and now they're, now she's actually doing the comical thing of mentioning the commie pope, as they listen, even the pope says that this is, of course the pope says it, of course he's getting rid of Latin mass, of course he's get, taking rid of, getting rid of the universality of that particular church, of course he's doing it, he's working with the World Economic Forum, and the UN to destroy this and meld it into something that is a little bit more of the dogma of the of agenda 2030 2050 so again they 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 gasp because because young people are starting to claw for something that they don't control and that they they spent so much time trying to kill and then they go and and they try to dig up the pope to say listen even the Pope thinks you shouldn't be doing it. The writer also doesn't mention that trad Catholic social media, with all of its semi-ironic memes about saints and sacraments, attracts those who like to post winkingly about the Crusades. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. A counterattack. A counterstrike. Don't want to talk about the, the Crusades. And then, of course, it goes down to its white supremacy. Just as white supremacists reach back to fictional version of the Middle Ages or the Viking Age to create their own mythos, trads look back to an imagined pre-modern church because they don't like what was done to Second Vatican Council. In, during the Second Vatican Council, none of the people here um, know what the Second Vatican Council was like. They just tried to say that all oh, these trads, they don't they reject the Second Vatican Council, and that's bad because generalized statement about the Second Vatican Council brought in very, very useful reforms, and that would be like rejecting uh, Martin Luther or something like that 
So they don't even, they, they just drop these lines in there to seem learned and knowledgeable. They don't know what the hell they're doing. And then it goes down, we're just uh, skipping along here. Skipping along here, uh, the church in the U.S. in many ways is torn between these two philosophies, and that is uh, pretty much between trad and this Novus Ordo type of stuff. Um, As a journalist, I certainly can't scoff at a fun trend piece, but there are so many other forms of Catholicism operating in the city with far greater numbers. Immigrant groups, socialist worker groups, old-fashioned Italian and Irish cradle Catholics. It's a a old-fashioned Italian Irish cradle Catholics are, are trad. It's a mistake to overstate the trad's influence or even to imply that their most interesting story in the Catholic Church right now, especially in New York. So, Here's the dismissive, oh, tut, tut, tut stuff. Now, it makes sense why, it makes sense why the left would rather paint young people's pursuit of faith, not necessarily just uh, Catholicism. That's happening in this particular neighborhood in, in New York. But we talked about this the other week. Were you atheist or agnostic in the last three to five years? And what, and what pulled you at least back onto the journey Scratching and clawing for a connection to the divine again. What was it? So it's a it's a it's a larger phenomenon. We're we're focusing a little bit more on this here too. She ends in this way. Polls show that even when it comes to basic dogmatic uh, elements, such as the literal transformation of the Eucharist. Many Catholics simply shrug off the official line. Some Catholics choose to draw inspiration. More from biblical teachings on tolerance and compassion. Catholics, like nearly all Christians, have chosen which elements of the faith to live by. You see, this is the this is the manipulative sob story from the left that tries to just tell you exactly what Christianity is and always meant to be, or any faith for that matter. This is target number one, so that's what they're talking about. They want to tell you that Christians, by and large, whether they're Catholic or Protestant, Orthodox, whatever, they have chosen, as individuals, as individuals, they have chosen which elements of the faith to live by. And that, you know, that the the literal transformation of the host during consecration is not real. There is no, I mean, this is where we're at. And of course, that's why they're so, I mean, Molly here lets the terror shine through. She lets the terror shine through. I know that they, they would they would it makes sense why the left would want to paint young people's pursuits in, in the spiritual realm as a form of trolling, not to be taken seriously, rather than an authentic sign that people are largely unfulfilled with the nihilism that comes along with the current brand of modernity. And in that respect I, I see why the left is dismissing it, for sure. But they are a cult, always remember that. They are a cult, and they're protecting their religion. This is their religion. This is their world that they created, and they are very, very religious people. You know, they have their holy days for worship with the sacrifice and the award shows and all that stuff. They have holy months for self-worship and sacrifice. They never fast, of course, because many of them are fat and flabby. They have mantras. They have prayers. They have chants. They have sacraments with the forced medicine now. Injected sacraments. The face mask is the new yarmulke. Let's be honest about that. Their priests are politicians and government scientists. It's a modern-day Sanhedrin. And it's the and as far as science goes, I mean, 
the science that they've pushed, a lot of the science that they've pushed in the last two and a half years alone has bordered on superstition, especially when it comes to the science behind social distancing. That was flat out superstition. So they've worked very hard to establish supremacy of their religion. And that's where we are. So um, don't ever let them get away with laughing at other people for being religious. They are far more religious than the average uh, Catholic even these days. That's, of course, if the trads have anything to say with it. Let's bring on... Oh, wait. Timothy Gordon is not in the waiting room. So I'll wait for him in the waiting room. Then we have this piece. Then we have this piece right here. We have the Atlantic. The Atlantic piece is the one that has been going around in the last couple of days alone and is written by this guy, this kid, Daniel Penitent. Daniel Penitent. Here's the headline. How extremist gun culture is trying to co-opt the rosary. Now, you want to see what the original was. Here is the original headline. How the rosary became an extremist symbol. Now, they had to change it. He had to change it because, of course, um, the intent of the author was to show how how much concern he had for the rosary being misused by retrogrades that he doesn't doesn't want to see such a nice thing ruined. I guess that's what we're supposed to think there. But what they really don't want to see is people living fuller, more satisfying lives, and they don't want to see the faith that they uh, captured sliding back to the place where they had once first encountered it. Now, um, I'm going to go on a really quick break and see where Timothy Gordon is. And when we come back, we're going to talk about this and follow uh, and close out the first half. Don't go anywhere. What the hell is this? What that slight beer? Yeah, I weigh 90 goddamn pounds and you bring me this slop. Well, let me tell you something now, Johnny. Last Thursday, I turned 95 years old. Yeah. And I never exercised a day of my life. Huh. Every morning, I wake up and I smoke a cigarette. And then I eat five strips of bacon. And for lunch, I eat a bacon sandwich. And for a midday snack, bacon. Bacon, a whole bacon. damn plate. And I usually drink my dinner. Now, according to all of them flat-belly experts, I should have took a dirt nap like 30 years ago. But each year comes and goes, and I'm still here, (laughs) and they keep dying. So what don't you want? Pardon? What don't you want? Oh, well, uh, I think I just, uh... You know, I've been working here for 44 years. Ain't nobody ever ordered nothing but T-bone steak and a baked potato. Except this one asshole from New York tried to order trout back in 1987. We don't sell no goddamn trout. T-bone steaks. So either you don't want the corn on the cob or you don't want the green beans. So what don't you want? I don't want green beans. I don't want green beans either. Steaks cooked medium rare. Can I get my steak cooked that just a little? no question. All right. You're listening to Quite Frankly. 
Okay, 746. And I think there might have been a miscommunication because Timothy Gordon is not here. And uh, we were supposed to get started a little while ago. So, what do we do in the meantime? I can read through this article, which I know he's already read through, and we can just do it ourselves. Because I, I think it's pretty hilarious, and it's part of a greater trend. And, and honestly, it's promising. It's a very promising thing. I, I don't care about the, about the, the screaming and the gnashing. Uh, even if I were still agnostic and, and, uh, and really on the, on the fence about all this stuff, even if I was still there, I, I wouldn't mind this at all. Because if you're still for the idea of liberty, if you are properly diagnosing who the enemies of liberty are, especially when it comes down to the enemies of, of, a, of a free society where you can think the way you want, you can uh, speak the way you want, you can, uh, you can make any kind of art or any kind of content the way you want it to be. As long as you're not committing a physical act of violence against someone, then everybody has to just learn to get along and be able to more constructively counter a bad idea when it presents itself. And if you can't counter it, perhaps you have to reposition your, reconsider your position. And that's how we get better. That's how we get better. And I don't think that even if I was living the life I was five to seven years ago, I would be anything less than happy about this because it was about 10 years ago that I still didn't, I still really didn't know where, where I stood and everything. And I was still kind of carrying some baggage from all those years and in, uh, in, in school and when it came to religion. And then of course, just, you know, socially, you're just, steeped in all the things that everybody else is. But I, uh, the first thing that started changing in me was, though it didn't apply to me personally yet, I was starting to defend the religious more and more based on how it was obvious that they are persona non grata in so many different respects. And that was when, that was when things started changing for me little by little. I would be a, a neutral arbiter in those types of um, in those types of situations, and I I would be there, standing in line to 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 defend one thing or another, especially when it came to uh, cakes and what and bakeries and gay rights and all that stuff. When it started really going left, real real hard left, and things were getting a, a bit more pressing. So I think that. By and large, this is very an, an objectively good thing when these types of mouthpieces have to go and spout off to push back against what is, when you analyze it the right way, a really great sign in the youth reclaiming something that has been forcefully blocked off from them. They have been, in very, very real ways, dissuaded from looking into the benefits of, of these these aspects in a person's life, especially the benefits that his, it has given to our society in many generations past. So that's where we are now. Now listen to this, and we'll see if uh, Timothy decides to join us at all tonight. How extremist gun culture, and this, remember this is the second, the second headline, how extremist gun culture is trying to co-opt the rosary. Just as the AR-15 rifle has become a sacred object for Christian nationalists, the AR-15 rifle has become a sacred object for anybody who wants to defend their life and their property. You know, there was a, uh, a Guardian article that just came out 
yesterday or something about how Asian Americans are buying firearms at a faster pace than most most demographic groups in the country and they want to know why and they want to know why they started buying firearms more than anybody else especially in the year 2020 when again especially in places like Los Angeles where when things pop off they go after the most weak elements of society and take their stores and burn them down and loot them and uh, and and during the the riots in the early 1990s those rooftop Koreans they kept their products because they are on top of the roofs with their rifles. But remember, everything has to fit into a nice tight box. Guns, Christianity, the family unit, the traditional family unit, all of that needs to be done away with. And if you can kill three, four, five, 18 birds with one stone, they're going to try to do it. Just as the AR-15 rifle has become a sacred object for Christian nationalists in general, the rosary has acquired a militaristic meaning for radical, traditional, or rad-trad Catholics. On this extremist fringe, rosary beads have been woven into a conspiratorial conspiratorial politics and absolutist gun culture. These armed radical traditionalists have taken up the spiritual notion that the rosary can be a weapon in the fight against evil and turned into something dangerously literal. So, I have my grandmother's rosary that stays on my, on, my, uh, on my broadcast desk over here. I love this rosary. My mother gave it to me. And I didn't know it. She told me that each rosary bead here is actually made from pressed roses. This was my grandmother's, my mother's mother's. And they're talking about when they say dangerously literal it can turn into a weapon into something that's dangerous you're literal the a literal weapon what the hell am i going to do with this what am i going to do with this there's probably a one in seven hundred fifty thousand chance that i swing this at your face and take the top of your cornea off These armed radical traditionalists have taken up spiritual notion that the rosary can be a weapon in the fight against evil. It is. It is. Prayer is a weapon in the fight against evil. Yes, it is. Prayer and meditation is a, is a weapon in the fight against evil. But to talk about this dangerously literal, that is just the hyperventilation of assholes who write articles like this. Their social media pages are saturated with images of rosaries draped over firearms, warriors in prayer, and those who aren't Catholic, uh, they, 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 what? They still love their firearms. If they're Christian but not Catholic, then they, they don't have a rosary, uh, a set of rosary beads probably, but the faith, the faith is, uh, is largely the same. We, we all have the, the same Savior, same Redeemer. So it's just more so once again, once again, they just want to make sure that every piece, you see somebody flying a Betsy Ross flag, you know that, oh no, uh-oh, somebody's got a, a set of rosary beads or a, and now you, how many people have you seen with rosary bead tattoos? They just want anybody out there who subscribes to these types of media outlets to use this as a new lens to see everybody around them, to judge them and to put them into certain boxes. 
and to deal with them in different ways. Influencers on platforms such as Instagram share posts referencing everyday carry and gat check, that's a slang for firearm, and including soldiers, battle beads, handguns, and assault rifles. One artist posts illustrations of his favorite Catholic saints, clergy, and influencers toting AR-15 style rifles labeled Sanctum Rosarium alongside violently homophobic screeds that are celebrated by social media accounts with thousands of of followers violently homophobic screeds I wish I knew I wish I could have seen one could you have could you have linked us to one violently homophobic screed the theologian and historian Massimo Fagioli has described a network of conservative Catholic bloggers and commentary organizations as a Catholic cyber militia that actively campaigns against LGBTQ acceptance in the church. These rad trad rosary as weapon memes represent a social media diffusion of such messaging and they work to integrate ultra-conservative Catholicism with other aspects of online far-right culture. The phenomenon might be tempting to dismiss as mere trolling or merchandising and ironical provocations based on traditionalist Catholic symbols do exist, but the far right's constellation of <laughs> their constellations of violent, racist, and homophobic online milieus are well documented for providing a pathway to radicalization and real world terrorist attacks. What are you talking about? Where's the real world terrorist? Okay, show me some well documented pathways that led to a real-world terrorist attack from this profile that you have built up right now. I wish just one. I wish just one. And, and, oh, they, they, they linked to the New Yorker. Another crazy-ass place. The online spaces that enable mass shooters. Yeah, psychiatrist offices and, uh, and public schools. I think that's what they're looking for here. Providing a pathway to radicalization and real-world terrorist attacks. Psychiatry, medication, and uh, in public schools. <laughs> there you have it. The rosary in these hands is anything but holy. But for millions of believers, the beads which provide an aid memoir for a sequence of devotional prayers are widely recognized symbol of Catholicism and a source of strength and take genuine sustenance from Catholic the, uh, the, uh, theology's concept of the church militant and the tradition of regarding the rosary as a weapon against Satan. And it is a weapon. 100%. And it's been, it's been very, very um, important over the years, too. In real, uh, real life battles as well. And it's just incredible to see this saying it. Then they go into all the imagery they see in other places. Social media accounts commonly promote accelerationist and survivalist content along with combat, medical, and tactical training. Everybody should have those. Everybody should have that. Everybody should, should look into f- survival prepping and anything they can do. Uh, it's all called insurance. Tactical training. You, can, you should do that. You should own firearms and you should know how to use them. Combat medical. You should know how to, how to, how to dress a wound, even if it's just a, 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 something basic. 
as well as memes depicting a balaclava-clad gunmen that draw on terror wave or war core aesthetic that is popular in far-right circles. You see, here's the thing. This is what it comes down to. This is the same thrashing that they did with the whole Dark MAGA memes. They did a lot of thrashing about Dark MAGA and how horrible it was and how scary it was. But the problem is that it, it was just another example of something, a small but organic example of something that works. A simple message that can be, that can be brought down to a basic conclusion that works. Now, even if it's satirical in nature, Dark MAGA is satirical. It also plays on people's desire to actually see, to see a real, um, a, uh, I don't know, the real restitution paid for the kind of abuses that we're living through the last six years. So it plays off of that, but, you know, th- this, this He-Man, this He-Man level, uh, uh, you know, power, this Palpatine level power emanating from Donald Trump, lightning from his fingers, it's it's an overplayed meme. And that's why we have fun with it. And they're jealous of that ultimately. This right here obviously is a lot of panic because it, it shows that younger generations, which they don't have as much control of as the older, more gullible media addicted generations, news media addicted generations. And the, they're always going to run into some kind of a brick wall because young generations are always going to find something to rebel against. And it's always going to be the most popular mainstream thing. When you normalize crazy to the point where kids can't even have fun anymore, where you're forcing them to go out with transgender kids just to prove that they're not bigots, something is going to crack along the way. I think this is great. I've, I've relied pretty heavily on the rosary myself, and I think this is great, but they are so jealous. Not only, they, not only are they terrified, but they're jealous of the actual authenticity of this thing because they have to fake everything. They have to fake the support that they have. They have to fake the president. They have to fake the love that people have for this stupid fucking demented president. And then they tried co-opting dark, dark MAGA. They tried co-opting Dark MAGA with that pathetic week of Dark Brandon bullshit. So it really is all about, for them, a constant battle with their own inferiority. They have an inferiority complex. And they know that what they've been able to beat down through bureaucracy and through philanthropy and everything else is only, it's only a temporary measure. It's only a temporary measure. It really is. But um, I don't know. It's 8 o'clock. Let's take a break. We come back, and maybe Timothy Gordon was, you know, an hour behind or something. I think he might be in central time, but uh, maybe he shows up in the second half. If not, we'll figure something out. Don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so happy to have you on board tonight. We'll be right back. Become a sponsor. I don't plug myself enough because I don't want to bother you. But I survive and I thrive on voluntary exchange. So I ask you. I ask you, if you enjoy what you're doing with me every night at 7 o'clock, if you enjoy the place that I've created for us, and you like coming to my little cafe here, please have a cup of coffee. Have a cup of coffee. And, and tip your waiter if you, can, if you can. Love to have you back. The show is always going to be free and free to access for everybody for as long as I'm doing it. 
But um, if you want to be part of the future, and the future is bright, and I have a lot of things I want to do, but I can't do them myself, and the bigger the budget gets, the more people I can bring on to help me bring that to fruition, then I implore you to go and check out all of your sponsorship options, monthly sponsorship options on quitefrankly.tv in the sponsor us section or in all the links below in the episode description. We'll be right back. Thank you for everything. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Yeah. Quite frankly, in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly, you're going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? I hope you all are enjoying yourself. I'm enjoying myself. All right, let's... Uh, I, I, I hope that Timothy's all right, because he's always on time, and we talked before. And the last time this happened, it was recently with uh, Sean Morton. And, of course, then he popped up about an hour later, and he, his arms were all cut up. I just hope everything's okay with Tim. Um, because... This, you know, you know what I mean? Hope oh, everything's okay. We'll figure that out. All right. Um, now let's go to the first thing up. Let's go to our super chats. Then I have some other th thoughts over here. I can't wait to hear what people have to say about all this. It's a very rich topic. And like I said, it's generalized. It's generalized. I know that these particular articles were about, you know, uh, traditional... Catholic, Catholic bubbles 
and communities among the youth that are popping up. But it's 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 a generalized thing. We've talked about this on the show many times before, and I I'd like to expand it again. Captain Castiron says, first the rosary, next the mala uh, the uh, mala beads. How anyone takes these people seriously is beyond me. They try. They at least have to put the messaging out there. And as far as the messaging goes, I have to implore you guys again. I have to implore you guys again to go check out the work that Jimmy Corsetti has been doing. That's Bright Insight on on YouTube. He really is one of my big gets as a guest coming up. That's a guy I would love to be on a regular, friendly basis with. Really awesome guy. I think he's a... He does fantastic work, and um, he focuses he focuses on a lot of things that many people in this audience love: ancient history, mysterious questions about lost civilizations, really good stuff. But he he also jumps into modern day anomalies. Recently, with the the more digital anomalies, and when we talk about information and these people being serious or not. What they are doing is feeding a, a machine that really limits the information that you get. He was featured in the Sunday night programming that I put together, and um, he was asking the question, where did the internet go? And is someone deleting the internet? And the first video he did last week was based on the experiment that the folks at Truthstream Media did a while back. I've been subscribed to them for years. Wonderful. Um, Truthstream Media is just wonderful. And I put a video on, I put that video on after Bright Insight's video on Sunday night. So it was Bright Insight and then Truthstream uh, Media right back to back. And it shows how these results that populate on search engines, whether the topics are controversial or not, millions, if not billions of results that are dwindled down to less than a hundred and then disappear altogether after just 20 pages or 30 pages of results. And the scarier thing about that is whether it be Google, whether it be Bing, whether it be DuckDuckGo, it's all the same results. They say, let's say you put in climate change, that's what they're doing. You put in something innocuous like pancakes, whatever the hell it is. It tells you you have millions to billions of search results that are up top. But no matter what the search is, you're only given about 30 pages of results. And in the 30 pages, most of them are duplicates over and over again, every page with a pinned Wikipedia at, to- at the top, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And what's, it's just like, it's, I don't think that's deletion or is it just omission via firewall? Information on literally everything is limited to barely anything. And the Atlantic articles, the New York Times, the Daily Beasts and all this other stuff, those are the people the unserious people who are going to be populated. They'll be populated over everybody else. So, um, yeah. Crack Your Barrel, I love Cracker Barrel, says, this is Carl from North Carolina. I sent you some emails and subscribed to the show. I have music comp- uh, composing skills and love to put on, uh, love to puff on cigars. Love what you do and would be happy to engage in the discourse. Cheers. It's great to have you out there, Carl. Try some of those lefty cigars. You get a little taste from New York. They burn so smooth. I can put it down 
If I'm grilling or something, I can put it down, walk away, do something, come back five, ten minutes later, it's still lit. They're just, they're wrapped perfectly. That's great to have more com composers out there. Thank you, Carl. Captain Cast Iron says, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Smells like victory. Yeah, but it's more. The Robert Duvall line in Platoon, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Smells like victory. It's at the end, at the end of that line. Um, where the hell is it? He kind of looks, you know, the bombs are falling all around him and he's just kind of lost in the whole experience of war. And he goes, almost like wistfully, he says, someday this war is gonna end. But he wasn't saying it in a way where, and thank God for that. He was saying it, I'm gonna miss this. And that's what I feel like the media is. That's what I feel like the media is. Robert Duvall in Platoon. Someday this war is gonna end. Better start a new one. Want to stay in the shit. Uh, let's see. Uh, Erica Beric Erica Berica says, regarding the CDC COVID updates, you were so right that it will all quietly go away, and it will be like nobody. It will be nobody's fault. Shout out to my buddy, my hubby Mark, aka Long Jeans. We are so happy to be proud of the Frankly family. Thank you for being a part of our life. I'm so happy to be in that living room right now, or in your den, your basement, your attic, your trailer, wherever it is. I'm happy I'm hanging with you guys, Erica and Mark. Yeah, I didn't want to be right about that, and I'm sure many other people saw that coming down the pike, too. They're going to slowly land this plane, pat themselves on the back for doing the best job they could, and walk away. Walk away, some will go into the sunset and retire and others will stay on hand to manage the next disaster. To manage the next disaster from soup to nuts. Uh, Cody says, I just want to see Kim Wexler feet pics. <laughs> okay, if anybody doesn't know, if you probably don't know, if you don't, if you don't follow the um, Better Call Saul Breaking Bad stuff, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Bob Odenkirk, it was trending on Twitter. Everybody was calling attention to the fact that Bob Odenkirk's Twitter, in the few people that he follows, one of them was like a, 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 a Twitter account for like perfect feet in high heels or something like that. So everybody was talking about Bob Odenkirk's, uh, Odenkirk's uh, foot fetish. And then everybody started uh, digging into screenshots from Better Call Saul where he's hanging out or he's in a scene with Rhea Seahorn, his co-star, who plays Kim Wexler, and how she, you know, she has her, her, uh, her shoes off often, and she's always, you know, shaking her foot, and she's always in high heels, and how he must have just been going nuts the whole time. So I guess that's what it... <laughs> Kim Wexler. I won't talk about the the finale for a, a couple of weeks. Or a week or a week. You know, Abe got in touch with me the other I'm just gonna give a disclaimer then whenever I do talk about it. I'll give everybody a few days. Abe said, you know, thanks for, you know, no spoilers like a noob. So spoilers like a noob. How how often do I this this season started months and months ago. How often do I how long do I have to wait before I can talk about something I'm watching? He said, I think facetiously, I hope so, six months the hell out of here. 
Lulu Christo says, thank you for everything you do, Frank. You're the best. Also, give a shout-out to, uh, shout out to Deuce Volt. Deuce Volt in the chat room. What's going on, DV? That's a very retrograde thing to shout-out. And selling the farms is a small token of my appreciation of you going to subscribe instead of this platform. Wow, thank you so much, selling the farm. But it's great to see you pop up in the Rumble Rants. All right, one more. <clears throat> one more popped over here. It's from Julia. So, Julia, Frank, I agree. This is part of the reason why I'm feeling for my faith again. The historical cycle of tyrants targeting churches, family cohesion, and even guns was enough to go searching for God again for me. And Julia, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you're one of very many. And it makes sense since the mindset comes from the same people who say that the Constitution is a contract living and breathing. That's a, that's a religion. What is a religion? Without set immovable tradition, what is a religion? that you obviously capture and co-opt and change and mold into other things that you're controlling. What is it even? You know, the, the Bolsheviks, we talk about it all the time. You, you know your enemy. You have to know them. You know what they do when they occupy a target country. They destroy the family unit and their faith in anything that supplants the earthly authority of government. You see from the writing in these articles that the New York Times and Slate are comfortable with. I'll go back to the Slate one. Where the hell? This one in particular. Where is New York Times? Um, Slate, here you go. This particular place right here at the end, talking about how many Catholics or Christians in general they have chosen which elements of the faith to live by. It's more so just generalized. See, th this is what they're willing to accept for now. This is what they're willing to accept for now. As long as they don't derive any kind of social exemptions from anything, that their faith doesn't get in the way in of any kind of social engineering programs, whether it be education, whether it be medicine, or anything new that they want to test on people, as long as the faith doesn't get in the way of people's obedience, they're fine with, with, you know, Christians practicing some watered-down, generalities-based faith. You see, from the writing that we get in, the, in these New York Times and Slate articles, they're comfortable with the fact that modern progressive Christians, more specifically, in this case, Catholics, have had their faith acceptably, acceptably reduced to, uh, from supernatural, a supernatural order faith, to a general message of be good to people and be tolerant to people who are different than you. That's the, that's it. That's what the whole faith is. You know, prayers are just mantras to calm you down when you're stretched, stressed out. So you want to calm yourself down, you can pray and the mantra will, will calm you down. The Eucharist is just symbolic. It's not real. There's no evil that needs to be confronted or combated. And prayers and rituals are definitely not going to do it which is hilarious to me. Rituals have no power outside of stress relief. Imagine that. The spirit cookers want Christians to believe rituals have no power. So this is where it is. From within and without, 
The whole thing is being diluted and washed away so that they are the only thing that's left, which is why, um, which is why when they see some kind of a resurgence, it's like, oh no, oh no, we were in remission. We were in remission the whole time. You know, that's just, uh, that's it. They're getting worried because people are finding prayer and whatever the hell else. And it's, um, and they're, and, and they're not just getting, they're not getting the McDonald's happy meal version of prayer that they have, that they have created for everybody. That's the whole thing. They're digging below 20th century Marxist social engineering trash that co-opted 2000 years of tradition. And it also makes sense that these are the same people who inject themselves into all kinds of popular culture. They'll take heroes from Marvel and DC and all that stuff and, and, and they, that, that resonated with people over the course of generations and they kill it. You know, they take over Superman and the first thing they do is they make him kiss another man. And then when, and then when somebody comes along years later and depicts Superman as a straight white patriot again, it's homophobic. It's dangerously retrograde. This can be seen a mile away. A mile away. Okay. <clears throat> I have another I have another announcement for you. I thought this was pretty cool. Yesterday in the mail, I received six tiny bags of coffee beans from riseandgrind.us. My buddy Christian, his wife at Nordic Coffee Company. They are my they are my uh, official affiliate for coffee right now on quitefrankly.tv. They have been for years, but it's going to get a lot more official. Take a look at this. You see those six bags? Well, every last one of those bags is a custom coffee roast with a full profile of the bean origin and all that stuff. Every last one, I know exactly where the beans came from, the roast, all that stuff. This, these six bags, these small bags, are going to be taste tested over the course of the next month. And I'm going to take extensive notes. I'm going to have select few people, you know, taste them and whatever. And we are going to whittle this down. And one of those bags is going to become the official coffee for quite frankly. So by the time fall and the, the, the Christmas shopping season rolls around, you're going to be able to give the coffee-loving, frankly, in your life, a very, very nice stocking-stuffed present. No doubt about it. Isn't that nice? That's wonderful. All right, so now I have another story for you. And then we're going to take some calls. In fact, we can take some calls right now. I'm going to put the number up. 914-595-6953. You let me know what you want to, to, to discuss in tonight's theme. Let's not get off topic. It's been one theme... Don't talk to me about Ukraine right now. We'll talk about the, the we'll talk about the the nuke threat out in Ukraine tomorrow. Everybody say, oh, the shelling is getting closer to the nuclear facility. I understand. Well, there's got to be some kind of a catastrophe that brings that back into the fray, but we'll do that tomorrow. Let's take a call from Susie. What's going on, Susie? Hi, Frank. How are you? I'm doing well. Welcome to the show. Hi. I'm so excited. <clears throat> I wanted to tell you a story, and I don't know if you've heard of it. It has to do with the rosary, and it has to do with Ted Bundy. 
I don't know if you've heard this story or not. I have not. Go ahead. <clears throat> but um, Ted Bundy, he had gone. It was it was the last, the site of the last murder. Uh, I think it was the sorority house in Gainesville. And he, I think he had murdered some of the other girls. And he'd gone to the last, he'd gone to the, I guess what you would consider his last victim. And when the, this girl had gone away to school, her mother had prom, made her promise to say the rosary every night before she went to bed. And <clears throat> that night she'd said the rosary and she had the rosary, I think, in her hands. Ted Bundy came in and an unseen force threw him across the across the room and I guess disabled him long enough for her to get away and when Ted Bundy was in prison <clears throat> shortly before he was executed he asked to speak to a priest and he asked the priest about that about what had happened to him and he told him the story of the rosary the rosary protects it has strong protection forces and um i don't know i thought that was a really cool story I, and there's another go ahead i'm sorry no no no, no, no continue another thing that my son had told me who's i guess what you consider consider a a newly traditional catholic he's 26 he was telling me about maoist china and how they weren't allowed or they had um, forbidden anyone to have the rosary because he knew the strength that it had. So there's more about it. Um, there's a man, uh, a Catholic priest on YouTube. I can't remember his name, but I bet Timothy Gordon would know who it is who talks about who these things. But I just wanted to share that. I thought it was really cool. Well, I appreciate it, Susie. And, and you know, I think uh, when it comes to Maoist uh, China, and thanks again for the call, when it comes to China, I mean, a a anything like that, any kind of a relic like that or anything that will, um, but we know what they're doing to the Falun Gong, we know what they're doing to the, the, the Uyghur Muslims, and so it's just, it's just one of those things that is, uh, it's dissident. So I understand that. The, whatchamacall here, Ted Bundy. The Ted Bundy, I don't know the mysterious force, if the girl with the rosary was real, did a mysterious force prevent Ted Bundy from killing her? I I don't, I, I've never heard about this, so I'm going to have to go read into it. But if he got thrown back like it was a force push, like in Star Wars or something, I, I don't even, I, I haven't heard about that, but that would be a pretty sensational story. I would agree with you on that one. Okay, let's take shit. Let's take a call. Five five one. You're on the air. Who's this? Frank, how you doing? Frank? Hey, hey, now who's this? My name is Frank as well. Oh, Frank. Well, welcome to the show. How you doing, buddy? Hey, um, I was watching your show a couple of weeks ago, Frank, and you guys were talking about uh, the solar system, about different planets, and Christianity at the same time, and um, how everything got started and, and derived, right? And you were asking 
on air if anybody knew about these things. And um, I was just, I wanted to put you on, I'm sure you, I think you had him on your show one time before, Timothy Alberino. Yes. He's a professional in all of that stuff when it comes to Christianity and the, the planets and everything and how it was derived. Well, well so Frank. I just wanted to say if you, if, well, yeah. Frank, what was do you do you remember what the question was, in particular? Because I, I I'm trying to remember what it is right now. I mean, Timothy's. Yeah, I was trying to remember as well, but I, I know you were talking about the the different planets and how they derived within the Bible. I forget who your host, who your uh, your speaker was at the time, but I, I remember I, I tried calling that day. I couldn't get through, but it was. Uh, I want to say it was Timothy Albrino. Oh, about aliens as well. The show was about aliens and different planets and derived and how everything got started. And I wanted to call and just say Timothy Albrino would be the guy for that. But I forgot the question, how it was uh, how it was perceived. Well, you know what? If you do go, you know, if you do go traipsing through the the archive at any time, Frank, and you, you, you pick up what the open-ended, open-ended question that we never got an answer for was, send it to me because, you know, Timothy Alberino comes on every couple of months. He's, he's already been on about half, yeah. a, half a dozen times, so I want to do another one of those types of astrology, uh, mysticism-based shows, and that, that would be great. Thanks for the call, man. No problem. And, 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 whenever, and whenever you do find it, if you stumble upon it, email it to me because then at least I know I'll see it. I mean, the, the Skype is a crapshoot. It may be another five months before you get through. What is your, yeah, what is your email address, Frank? Quite frankly, podcast at gmail.com. Will do. Thanks. Always a pleasure, Frank. All Take right. Care, boss. Take care. You be, you be good yourself, Frank. Be good, Frank. Okay, you want to hear, you want to hear a story? You're going to have to hear, you have to listen to the story. It's 826. I have to tell you a story. Sit down. Relax. Let me get some creepy music out. Now, this morning, Timothy Gordon's here. He was planning on Central Time. I knew it. Give me five minutes if you can. Something happened early this morning I have to tell you about. I'm just going to be calling it the octopus incident. And I hope I can get through this. Now, I don't know what I was dreaming prior to waking up. Because I didn't have any dreams about animals. But all of a sudden, I woke up. It was... It was not... Not yet dawn, but it was getting... It was that light blue kind of a morning. And I was convinced for a moment there that Lauren was being blanketed by an octopus. So we have like light gray bedding right now. Some, you know, light gray uh, quilt and, and, you know, all of our body pillows are gray, one thing or another. So I woke up and for some reason I... I popped up to my feet. Then I looked down at her and I was convinced that she was being blanketed by an octopus because I saw this big dark pinkish mass on top of her and I can see the contrast because the 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 quilt is a light gray and there's this darker pinker thing that is on top of her. So, I popped up from the bed and Lauren immediately wakes up. She wakes up and she's she's asking, "What's wrong? Are you all right?" And at this point, okay, I'm lucid. I'm completely lucid. I'm not sleepwalking or anything. I'm a little bit confused, 
I'm a little, I'm a little confused, obviously. And I, I, I pop up and I'm trying to tell her, but I can't get it out because I don't want to freak her out and by telling her, Lauren, there's an octopus on you. <laughs> I don't want to freak her out. Because if there was an octopus on her, she would be very frightened. So I'm, I'm on my feet and I'm looking down at her. I'm like, and I'm struggling to find a diplomatic way to tell her that there is an octopus on her. I'm, I was like, you have a blood, you, there is, okay, there's an, there, I can't get it out. And then um, she, you know, she starts, she's a little bit confused, obviously. And then she starts, she starts commenting, says, listen, there's nothing here. Cause I say that there's an octopus. So I know it's crazy. And then I start to realize, oh wait, that's her bathrobe. And over the night, because it's been a little bit cooler here in New York at night, we had the blank, the, the quilt on, and then she put the bathrobe on top of her, on her side of the, uh, of the bed, on top of the quilt, to have an extra layer of warmth. I said, oh, that's just the bathrobe. Oh, okay. But still, as I'm descending down to the bed again, I had to reach out and touch the bathrobe to make sure it was just the bathrobe. I'm completely sober. I didn't smoke or anything. And up until that last moment, when I felt the plush of her pink bathrobe, I was convinced that I was going to feel the bumpy, wet flesh of an octopus. I don't know what the fuck's happening with me. I did not dream of any of these creatures. I was not bringing it out of the dream world into the real world. Just something had happened. So that was my um, that was my experience last night. Okay, all right. Well, with that out of the way, it's eight thirty-two, and let's bring on. I want to bring on a. Uh, I want to bring on our guest, our guest for the evening, Mr. Timothy Gordon, a, a true retrograde, a real extremist. We have one here in the flesh. What's going on, Timothy? What's going on, Frank? How are you, bro? I'm all right. I'm all right. That damn central time. <laughs> I'm so sorry, man. I, this is the second time I've done it to you. I don't know how many times I've been on the show. I've done it to you. I do it to all my EST friends since I, my dumb Pacific Coast brain. Since I moved here to CST two years ago, I just, I'm always doing this to EST people. I recognize the difference between Pacific and Mountain and Central, but EST, I just, I think we're in the same zone. It's the second time I've done it to you. I'm sorry. I know, I know, I know. So then that means that you weren't able to hear the read-throughs then, right? I didn't. I didn't hear the read-throughs. I was reading all the articles. I was charging my phone. I I, I have everything I want to say with you, uh, but... Yeah. Okay. I, well, I was... well, the, the, well, the, I'll just, I'll just cut to the chase then. The, the real time that we spent on all this stuff was really, um, was really the, the Slate article. I mean, the New York Times article was what it was. It got some, uh, it got some uh, extra attention being posted on the New York Times blogging side or the opinion section or whatever. But Slate and, um, and all the, the reaction from outlets like it was real, real scary. And uh, man, I, w- I wish you could have heard some of the things I was saying because that's, that's where the real uh, the meat and potatoes are. But here's the real question I have for you. 
what, without set immovable tradition, what is a religion? Is, is it can it even be characterized as a religion? That, that's just my whole thing here because they, uh, I, I don't even know where the hell they're, they're trying to go with all this. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a natural virtue, you know, like supernatural religion. The natural knowability of uh, the one true faith, even if you're just, it, we're talking to all the agnostics out there, right? Bears certain properties. It's, it must be immutable. It must be unchanging. Uh, the, the principle of non-contradiction being what it is. The most agnostic logicians out there that I used to study with as an undergrad, um, they acknowledge, look, if there's a true faith, if there's absolute truth, qua absolute truth, it must be unchanging, immutable. And, and this is exactly what I was thinking as I read through the first three paragraphs of the Slate article as well. It's like these terms extreme Catholicism or uh, rad trad Catholicism versus moderate Catholicism or progressive Catholicism that the article traffics in make no sense even from the perspective of a rational agnostic which which rules out the writer of the slate article like I if I were uh, I'm not any of the other world religions I would say well if, if, if I don't know Hinduism is correct then only one form, uh, whatever, Ventaya Hinduism is correct. Uh, or, or, you know, you can't, it can't be both. And it's weird that they project those categories onto mm. Catholicism. Yeah, I, and, and, and the other thing on that Slate article that I, I ended with, the one highlight I made for myself is is this little piece right here at the end. Let me see if I can, if I can, if I can pick it up again. It says, polls show that even when, and this is, of course, the rationalization, because they, she slides around, all these leftists do, they slide around from the, the position of completely irate because, you know, if anybody does anything traditional, that means that this world order of gender and sex uh, kink and all everything else that they have, have cobbled together in this this. Uh, what we're living through right now, that's going to be in danger because traditional life is a little bit more simplistic, a little bit more commonsensical, and of course, inside of the commonsensical, they have they have no logic that can win out. So they 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 switch between the irate and the protesting to a point right. of dismissiveness and projection. Here's the projection right here. Polls show. That even when it comes to basic dogmatic elements, such as the literal transformation of the Eucharist, many Catholics simply shrug off the official line. Some Catholics choose to draw inspiration more from biblical teachings on tolerance and compassion. Catholics, like nearly all Christians, have chosen which elements of the faith to live by. So here we have, here we have a, um, here we have a woman who is obviously invested in keeping this this co-opted and neutered faith down and controllable and in the mud by just projecting out there that, the, that you know, after all these, after, after the millennia, two millennia, we have finally reached what Christianity truly is. And that is an individual uh, a la carte experience where the individual can take what they want, leave what they don't. And, and, and the general principle there is be good to people and accept them for who they are. And it's, it's always just this very, that's what it is, this, this generalized, 
projection and dismissiveness, and then the other side of it is just wailing and, and crying. Are you familiar with the term, Frank, moral therapeutic deism? No. That uh, it was a famous, famous article, I think Rod Dreher wrote on the American conservative like 15 years ago, 16 years ago, and it was one of these American conservative articles that was making the rounds. Even my law professors at the time were talking about it. So it just went totally viral, and it's absolutely true. What the left has pushed on all the world religions, I'm not much of an ecumenist, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a champion of Roman Catholicism, qua Roman Catholicism, as you know, but all of the world religions are okay, kosher, in the eyes of the left, as long as they are anodyne, moral therapeutic deism, where they, they all accept one another. And what it turns out, you know, we were always talking about this in our Windswept House book club mm. on this channel. I miss, which I miss, by the way. I miss, too. I do miss. I miss it, too. I miss. We, we always had, like, the same passages we wanted to comment on every week. Uh, and we each had a different flavor to bring to it. That was a lot of fun. But that's, I think, the masonry. That's the trick. That's the Illuminati thing is to make all world religions the one true one. Even people out there that aren't Catholics, you, you, you believe maybe in some other true one, principle of non-contradiction being what it is, and then all the other ones are false. Uh, to make them the same, and they're all acceptable as long as they're anodyne enough to be, you know, compressed into the mishmash of a moral therapeutic deism. And the moral part means you have kind of rules of life rather than hardcore commandments never do this, always do this. Think of how much in the paragraph before the one you picked out, Frank, it's kind of moral enough to be therapeutic and therapeutic enough to be moral. She keeps saying, oh, they, 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 they can't believe in this all the time. And it's amazing. It, it would be like if you're talking to a marathon runner and you, were, you go, are you really going to run 26.2 miles? Yeah. You're going to run the whole time? Like, yeah. You're not going to stop and have like a uh, stop at a pizza bar just once. Just what if you feel like it? And you're like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to run the whole time, dude. You're going to run without stop. This is what leftists do. I once had a, a law professor that was like, so Catholics, you can't you can't contracept. No, you can't. And people aren't perfect, but the rules are you can't contracept. And a lot of people have really got this down. Uh, you can't can't do self-abuse, can't masturbate. No, you can't do that. You know, it was, again, I'm not saying he or she hasn't slipped up, but these are the rules. They don't like the bright line categories. And the latter half of this article is like literally her taking umbrage at the offensiveness of Catholicism qua Catholicism, just because people aren't willing to water it down. Yes. Yes, and, and you know, it, and, uh, and as I was saying earlier on in the, uh, multiple times uh, in the, the episode today this is just really the um, the last this is the outrage du jour um because the entire year has been spackled with this idea of the rise of christian nationalism uh, catholicism is the the punching bag this week uh, they, they they move it all around they make sure that everybody they're equal opportunity offenders when it comes to this they they love they love moving this one around and the other one that goes along with this of course is the atlantic article i saw you going on about that 
I saw a few of them. I saw Taylor Marshall going on about that. I read a lot of this article just here today. The literal danger that's dangerously literal about the fight against evil. I, I don't know how you can make a, a, a set of rosary beads into a literal danger. But what did you take away just as the overall conclusion of the Atlantic going in, in this direction, too? Because it seems like everybody's picking a limb and just gnawing on it. Well, G.K. Chesterton once said that to be historically illiterate is to make one uh, one of the other sects of Christian but not Catholic. I, I don't want to pick on the other sect, sects of Christian because by and large, particularly against goons like this, this uh, Canadian who wrote the, the article for, uh, for uh, yeah, it, it, it's, they're the good guys. And it's historical illiteracy that just this article drips with. I mean, he's, it's embarrassing. The irony is so thick. It's embarrassing. He writes these armed radical traditionalists have taken up a spiritual notion that the rosary can be a weapon in the fight against evil and turn it into something, as you said, dangerously literal. Um, it was all the rosary was always conceived as a weapon uh, from from St. Dominic to the Battle of Lepanto in 1571, where great odds were uh, overcome as this weapon throughout all of the last millennium, most of the last millennium, the rosary has been uh, taken to be something literal. So the main thing that uh, Dan, whatever his name is, the author of this article, strikes me with is, is historical illiteracy. It's, it's embarrassing. Uh, he says it's acquired a militaristic meaning for radical traditional Catholics. And um, along similar lines to the author of the Slate article, he seems genuinely incredulous, sincerely incredulous, that there are real Catholics uh, that are, without LARPing, live-action role-playing, without pretending to be something that they're not, really live by the precepts of the faith. And again, they're not perfect people. They might get angry. They might cuss. They might slip up. But they do truly believe the precepts of the faith. And uh, it's, it's called the, the Gandhi fallacy, right? He's like, I'd be a real Christian if I ever met one. It's like, well, that, that's the, the perfection fallacy perfectionism fallacy it doesn't mean there's only one perfect christian and that was christ but there is a meaningful distinction between real catholics that do actually generally day in day out live by these categories doesn't mean they're immaculate um and the the, the cultural catholics that are have preponderated after vatican ii that both articles mention that uh, don't legitimately even make an attempt day by day to live by the faith. I think that's, that's a meaningful distinction. I don't think that's a distinction without a difference. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do. And, you know, because we, we were on limited time here, too, I, w I want to take that, that idea and just go a little more general with educational woes and culture and, and all of that. I know that, I mean, before, before I started this topic in the, the, the pre-show, I was doing an article about a school district in Minneapolis that is putting out the school, uh, the teachers union had put out a missive that they are going to put in a new policy where if there has to be any kind of cuts to educational staff or whatever in the school district, they're going to prioritize white people for being fired first. And I, 
um, you know, just going through the insanity of all that, the, the, the racism, the, and of course the real losers are the, 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 the children because there is absolutely no priority on the quality of people who are giving them this education. And that is on an elementary school level, middle school level. And I mean, th- that is something that everybody goes through. And the, the one thing that was always optional, the one thing that was there if you need it, that has now become almost like a, uh, a you have to go and do it, is college. And you just wrote a book. It's out, I saw that there was this great art write-up on The Federalist not too long ago. Uh, here it is right there. Don't go to college. How to fix the broken education debt pipeline. A case for revolution is the subtitle. Well, what, tell us a little bit about... This store, uh, this uh, this book just came out. I feel like you write a, you write three books a year or something like that. Jeez, but um, tie this in with everything else that we're talking about in this woefully uneducated or woefully overeducated society now. Yeah, thanks, Frank. Um, it has been one book a year for the last four years. It's crazy. Guess I'm tired. Maybe that's why I'm I'm missing missing appointment again. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that article came up this morning on The Federalist, and I was surprised at some of the negativity uh, on The Federalist Twitter about it. Um, they're calling us, you know, the L word, Lulberts, Libertarians and stuff. I'm like, We're not, this, that's not us. We're, the, the, the two authors are a couple of traditionalist Catholic conservatives, conservative Catholics. And uh, look, we have this book of ours was on hold for a bit. We had it written. Um, one day before our book came out, and eight days before our book came out, Regnery discovered that Charlie Kirk had a very similar book that came out uh, just one week before us. And, um, you know, that, that's fine. As Hegel wrote of the early 1800s, the time is ripe. Geist, human spirit, I guess, conceives of these things at roughly the same time. Uh, Leibniz and Sir Isaac Newton independently conceived of the calculus within like six months of each other. So that's fine. Um, And the funny thing, though, is, Frank, we're saying, look, don't go to college. And we give some seriously, I think, deep reasons not to. It's not just because college is overpriced. That's one of the reasons, but it's like reason eight or nine, if we were to rank them ordinarily, not to go to college. the best reason is because sometime last century, the nine institutions of culture were stormed by the radicals, including church, which you and I have talked a lot about. That's one of the nine institutions of culture, the most important one. If culture, uh, if church is stormed, then higher ed has been. And it turns out that higher ed is like the the brain of the body. So if we want to kill the radical beast, which is storm the culture, it's a hive mind. You gotta gotta get a headshot. You gotta kill the brain. It gives directions to the members, to the arms, to the legs, to lower ed. They all take cues from higher ed. Entertainment media, they all take cues from higher ed. Sports media, they take cues from higher ed. News media, they take cues from higher ed. Military, uh, even now church. So you can go through all of them and. This is a much bigger book than just for tuition-paying parents of college students and college students themselves. It's really a case for revolution in, in, in not just an analogical sense, sort of in the strict sense, because the right-wing counter-revolution needs to begin. It can only begin when we stop 
sending away our children to be indoctrinated and um, and to stop bespoiling the most fecund years of these young people's lives. The, the greatest cost to college, honestly, is the opportunity cost. I've known as a high school teacher and as a high school graduate myself, so many good couples where a couple of 18-year-olds, a guy and a girl, were basically really well-matched, ready to be married, and they're like, well, I guess we just have to break up, you know, because you go to college, you're a weirdo if you don't go to college. We'll be apart for basically six years because everyone gets a master's degree now too. So there's not really any point, but man, that one girl I was dating in high school, I loved her. There are so many ones that got away over the last two generations. I, I never even think, you know, I never even considered that. I never even considered that, but it's true. It is true. And, um, but, but that, that's all cloaked with the, oh, you're way too young. Yeah. It is, it's all like, hey, that, that's something I, I fell into. I fell into, fell into all of that. That applied to me, too. Uh, I never wanted to consider. I, I, don't even talk to me about, about settling down uh, until, you know, I don't know, late 20s. All of a sudden, that's just the way, way it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Cernovich is great on this. He's like, yeah, travel, travel, live your life, bro. He makes fun of it all the time. Those are just... Kids you're not going to have. And I, I fell into it some, too. I mean, I got married at 24, but, you know, before I was fully back in the faith, we we're contracepting, you know, full, full confession. And we have seven kids now. I wish we had, uh, I, I swear, I wish we had seven more. And, and that, can all, that can only happen if you start. So it's really the opportunity cost is the number one cost. Kids are going to school, Frank, and by night, you, you know this, everyone knows it now, it's orgiastic proportions, um, it, orgiastic habit formation that people are making. It's a 24-7 orgy in the dorms. That's what's happening, parents, if you don't know. That's willful blindness because everyone knows now. And then by day for a couple hours, they go to classes and discipline to discipline. They're being, there's, there's in Catholic teaching, there's doctrine, the teaching, and then there's discipline, the practice of it. The doctrine is... The family is post-colonial and evil and post-paternalistic and family is, you know, misogynistic and blah, blah, blah. Don't, you know, the, the patriarchy of family is evil, so don't do it. And then they solidify the really toxic, noxious habits of um, polygamy, uh, which make it really, really difficult, almost impossible for 25, 26-year-old graduates to get out, start a work some sort of career, and then be satisfied by the simple, sublime, beautiful monogamy that for 50,000 years plus has sustained the eudaimonia, the happiness of man. If you've been totally tainted and overstimulated, and you have some of this stuff swirling around your head from your professors, that it's really evil, it, it's made it impossible for people to enjoy the most beautiful natural life, aside from being a monk or a priest or something. Being, being a married man you know uh, I, I was listening to I don't know where the hell it was because these types of articles are all over the place but I was reading something again about population collapse which is it, it is tied in with everything else everything else that's going on all of the political uh, machinations that that we that we pick apart whether it has to do with climate or feminism and whatever whatever the hell's going on there everything we're talking about even right now the reasons why you want to get away from that mindset and go out and actually be a vital vibrant part of the earth and 
to, to I, I wanted to see here because for years up until the last two, we were talking about population explosion. And now still there's some people out there like we have way too many people on the planet, which is very, very racist because the only people having sex and having children are black and brown countries. They they, they don't like saying they, they can't come around to saying that so they just say we have way too many people let's keep killing ourselves in the west because there has not been a positive population rate past replacement in the in the united states and europe for many years and when they look into that everybody's saying uh you know there would be people uh, contrarians going back and forth against the the pop the, the population explosion people saying no 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 exactly what i said no there's there's that we are in negative downward trends for a long time. It's population collapse. We need to start having children and blah, 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 and blah, blah. And I tell you, the next pivot, because they can never be wrong, they are overeducated. The cup is full. It is overflowing. There is no room for anything else, Timothy. They go and they, they pivot to this new area, which is, no, the only reason why the population is just slightly dipping, actually, in uh, in Europe and in America is because is because up until the last couple of generations women were just baby factories with no rights and they had no, they they didn't had no autonomy and they're starting to do things for themselves but of course that flies in the face of the fact that the happiness index for both men and women are the lowest they've ever fucking been so <laughs> it, it's just they there's nowhere to go you, you can't you can't convince them you just got to do you just got to do do life for yourself because to convince these people to change their ways, let them extinct themselves. What are we going to do? Well, the cheaters, they're evil. These remember windswept house, bro. I, I, it's at the center. Like you just said, of all of their projects, the WEF, the UN, UNESCO, world health organization, all these evil Luciferian globalist new world order goons have their central project of con, uh, population control. And so, of course, they're not going to admit that, like, yeah, it's taking a slight dip, actually. Uh, no, it's it's a crisis. Even moderate leftists are now, like you pointed out, admitting it. They have to just say, oh, it's a slight dip because the last uh, two generations of women have are, are catching up. They're coming into their own. It's like, yeah, they have to call this the quote-unquote uh, what is it? The paradox of declining female happiness. Every five years, white suburban women who have ta- undertaken these jobs and don't do what they really want to do, what they're wired to do, what God made them to do, have babies. They get more and more unhappy. And it's happened ever since 1970. So they'll, they're never going to admit this, but they're liars. Don't expect them to. Don't wait for them to. Well, I, this is all this is all part of the reason why I love when another book of yours comes out because I know in the uh, in the, in the end it is whatever the subject matter is it's going to be based, and that's what we have right now. So, uh, oh, is it out right now? Can people go out and get it? Can they pre-order it? What's the deal? Everybody know. Yeah, this is this is the second second week of it. This is my first book on uh, Regnery, which was kind of a, a bucket list thing for me. So, yeah, go get it. It's. Don't go to college. A case for revolution. We mean that in the analogical and the literal sense. And uh, you're going to find it revolutionary in tone. This is not just for college students and parents. It's on Regnery Press. Get it on Amazon now. It's in the second week of being out. It's been on pre-order for like six months, actually. That's terrific, uh, Tim. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we'll do. We'll uh, we'll pick up. And I have so many other questions that I want to talk about with just general 
mysticism and and mysteries of the faith just in general not even that has to do with catholicism but in general and i uh, i, I want to pick a night and and do things like that with you and and we'll figure that out but thanks for coming back Frank, can i just sincerely apologize i'm not a flake you can ask my wife She's oh i know you're not a flake That's i was what... sitting around for an hour like i wish i could go on now i'm just i think cst is es here <laughs> I'm, so I'm sorry brother no 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 I, I feel... I got your thing. I charged my phone up here in my little studio, and I got all your fran- – uh, not frantic. They were they were manly, but they were just like, oh, what's up, bro? And I'm like, I feel so bad. Like, I'm not – I just – I just left this brother out uh, to drive. Like, no, yeah, I'm- no, no. I, I was, I was not. I, I don't think I was flailing, but I, you know, I was just trying to get you as many messages as I could in between very short commercial breaks. So, uh, but, but as I said to everybody else on the other side of the break, and, I, and you still weren't in the in the Zoom. I just hoped everything was all right because I know, you know, you, you, you're you're there on time. You're prompt and all that. I thought that I had a I had a guest two weeks ago that was supposed to come on at the the bottom of the first hour, and he didn't show up until like nearly the the bottom of the second hour because he had fallen down on the on the sidewalk outside and and you know he was he was pretty seriously scraped up and and shit. So I was just hoping that you didn't fall down a flight of steps or no, you know. I, I ain't laughing at him. It's just, it's no, no. It's it, it, seriously, that. that's why I, I, I paused and I said, okay, I'm not going to assume anything right now. I just hope he's all right. So, <laughs> you know, because I've been there before and recently too. So either way. Has, has Milo ever been on this show, Frank? I know you're trying to close up. No. If, if you have Milo on your show, he's he's been on my show a couple times. He published my first book. Then you, you just, you know, four out of five times Milo's going to, he's going to end up ducking out on you, you know, and, and he knows it. God bless him. He's a good guy, but you're only going to get him one out of five times that he promised to come on. That That's a, that's a whole different thing. I didn't Milo on you. I was just, we were just sitting around eating an early dinner. We're very late dinner people. We Same had here. for us as an early dinner at 630. And I was like, well, I'm just waiting around and the phone's charging. And then I'm leaving my buddy hanging. I'm sorry, quite frankly, fans out there. No, it's all right. Everybody loves when you show up anyway. Hey, you know what? You, real quick. Um, have you, so have you spoken to Milo post-conversion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've spoken to Milo lots post convert because when did he convert? Like two marches ago. I, yeah. I think it's something like that. It was a it was a very interesting story, and we 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 covered whatever was published at the time, but haven't spoken about it again. I, I'd love to jump into that topic, even if he can't be here, since you know him personally. Maybe we can just exchange uh, info on it and 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 uh, have a time with it. I'll give you his info. Yeah, he's working for Marjorie Taylor Greene now. He's with Church Militant for basically the first year after he converted. And um, I think he's doing very well. I'll, uh, I'll get you his info. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, listen, uh, all the best to you. I'm, I'm so happy that you have another uh, book out. It's getting great press. I hope a lot of people buy it. And, uh, and we'll talk soon, my friend. Thanks, my friend. Yeah, yeah. talk to you soon. All right. And, and bye, Steph. Bye-bye. All right. See you later. Okay, everybody. That is Timothy Gordon, Rules for Retrogrades. You should go check him out on YouTube. I love when he has a, a stream up. He does streams in the middle of the day. Uh, really important stories, I believe. I know that this is only only a fraction of the of the audience is is, is Catholic, but and that's that's what he represents. And I uh, I really appreciate it because we've had a wonderful wonderful. I've learned a lot. And we've had a wonderful historical conversations and all that. So all the best to him and his. Well, that's it for me over here, ladies and gents. Let me go to the Super Chats real quick. We'll run through because my dinner is a little bit later. 
as well. My eating window ends in an hour, so what the hell am I going to do? I don't know. I'm going to have to break the window and start eating later tomorrow. Doc Keck says, there is the gospel of death, the law, and the gospel of grace, life. The law has has dominion until grace was made flesh and is is now trying to reassert itself in the hearts of men with the technology of self-righteousness, absent love of the Father. That is, uh, that's wonderful. That is a wonderful way of putting it. Doc Keck is like that, though. Well, I'll read that one again. There is the gospel of death, which is the law, and the gospel of grace, life. The law had dominion until grace was made flesh and is now trying to reassert itself in the hearts of men with the technology of self-righteousness, absent love of the Father. Islander67 says, Hey, Frank was hoping you can wish my firstborn son a happy 29th birthday. His name is Donovan uh, uh, Terebical. Terebical. Donovan. Donovan, I, I butchered your last name, but happy birthday to you. 29. 29 was a big year for me. That's when me and Lauren moved in together officially, and I was so happy about that. That was a big one. So I hope that 29 is big for you as well. I hope it is. I have another birthday tomorrow I have to tell people about. I have it been written down here for a while, so we'll do that tomorrow. But for now, it's Donovan's night. 29. Thank you, guys and gals. Thank you so much. Uh, Let's see here. Rockfin is all good. Everybody's hanging out over there. And on Foxhole. Last night. What about Bob was fantastic. Sean Joe, thank you. Prayers for Skip says Witchy Poo twenty two. Thank you. You know I uh, I'll if it wasn't past nine o'clock I'd give updates on everything. But thank you for everything. Jay Jewel says always take important calls. We will wait, Frank. Oh, talking about the the hospital. Well, it's too much thing. Too much would be disrupted on this end, and. I don't want to do too much editing when I get home, so can't win with these people. Boys Blanc 89, always calling at weird times. I left three, three days in a row, and I go there almost every day. I didn't go yesterday, um, but almost every day before that at the hospital. And even then, I'm leaving messages for the nurse's station. Can you please call me? Three days in a row, I left the same message. Nobody calls back. Whenever this is all over, and hopefully it's a positive ending, and it's all over, because obviously nobody lives in a hospital for forever. You either get well or you never leave. But whenever this is all over, I'm going to really let you know what I think. Right now, I just have to have faith that there are good people in that building that are trying their best. But uh, boys, uh, the good good news is that my mother does not have AFib. You know, she does not have AFib. When she collapsed and all that stuff, she was just dehydrated and she had a, um, you know, you know, she was just getting over the flu and all that stuff. It was a perfect storm of things. She broke her nose. But she does not have AFib. They said that she had AFib. So she does not have to take those damn blood thinners and everything. So now I'm just going to get her in touch with Jay Gulinello, and she has to stop eating like a five-year-old at a birthday party. The, the, the chips and the Gatorade. Um, 
Tom Ford says six years, but yes, I was agnostic until I really don't want uh, until I really don't want to get into the chat. Maybe email. Well, that's fine, Tom. Anything that's comfortable for you. Rook Castle, as a practicing practicing Catholic, I'm fun and sexy. All sin leads to misery. Discipline is also sexy. I know. I know. I've had to discipline myself really well this year. And especially with eating and working out and trying to keep positive, just prioritizing things. And it's trickled into other places in life, too. It's been really gratifying. Uh, Janice 17, thank you. Rook Castle again. Yesterday, what the rest of the, uh, uh, what, uh, yesterday was the Feast of the Assumption. Remember that? Let's see. Turns out butter, bacon, beef, eggs are good for you. Cholesterol converts to testosterone. I'm going to go get myself a steak right now. Man, what a bummer, bro. Now I'm reminded why it's probably not wise to have a set time for an interview. No, no, you need set times for interviews. 100%. Sometimes just things happen. This is live radio. You understand? This is live. You can do this stuff pre-recorded and it always comes out perfect. I like the pressure. Cynthia says, I have all my father's rosary beads, including the ones he got from France in World War II, a relic from World War I. Oh, keep those. Take a picture and send them to me. Dr. Hoffman says, I have a rosary. It was a gift. I respect and treasure it, even though I'm not Catholic. They're they're nothing. Hey, there's nothing to not be respected. I, um, I know anybody that whatever means something to someone, human intention is part of it as well. But they're sacred objects, and that carries something. Stostube, our voluntary, well-spent contribution to great independent media. We love you, Frank. Thank you, Stostube and Dr. Hoffman. And uh, Mazington says, love when you have Tim Gordon on. I do, too. Thank you, Mays. And Sean and on. See? Told you so. Just knew he was going to show up. Respect. Yes. Well, I'm happy he's all right. Like I said, I'm releasing the scratching over there in the foxhole on quitefrankly.tv. It's Tuesday, so I don't think that there's anything that's going to be on uh, afterwards, but we're working on steady Tuesday night programming, and I love you all for showing up and being a part of my little experience here in my living room. Well, the studio, but I'm in your living room. So with that being said, good night. Tomorrow is a new day. It'll be a short and sweet one with another great guest. Be here or be nowhere. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, film for a live studio audience. Now, our super chatters. Doc Keck. Islander 67, Icelander. What the hell's wrong? I saw an octopus last night. What are we going to tell him? Lulu Christu. Captain Castiron. Crack Your Barrel. Captain Castiron. Erica Berica. Cody and Silky Johnson. Thank you, guys and gals. I hope you all have a wonderful night. Good night and good night. <laughs>